Welcome to episode 25 of China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. The chairman of the Central Military Commission, Xi Jinping, is a man with a clear ambition. He wants China's armed forces to be world-class by 2050. This has profound consequences for Asia. China has already established control over much of the South China Sea, parts of which are claimed by Vietnam, Indonesia and the Philippines. It's also vying with Japan over a disputed group of islands, the Senkakus. And most worryingly of all, it's increasing air and naval pressure on Taiwan. A conflict involving Taiwan could well draw in the United States, pitching the world's two great military powers into a war. Today on the podcast, we welcome back Gordon Arthur. He's the Asia-Pacific editor for Shepherd Media, and he knows China well, having lived in Hong Kong for 20 years. Gordon's now based in New Zealand, from where he joins us today. Welcome back. Good to see you again. My pleasure. Thanks, Duncan, for the invitation. China's People's Liberation Army has not fought a war for at least 35 years, but President Xi says he wants to modernize it and boost its readiness to fight. Is it now ready for war? Right, before I get to that answer, um, perhaps we can think about the PLA as it was in the past. So the PLA for sure was a, a bloated, monolithic, prehistoric dinosaur. So it was large, it was ponderous, it was filled with uh, old equipment. And yeah, in the last 10 years or so, it has changed dramatically under President Xi. Uh, so for sure, um, it's, it's been modernizing at a, an incredible clip. Um, it's, it's getting more ready to fight. In fact, if you listen, the, listen to um, the Chinese leaders and the PLA itself, um, it will always be talking about how it's now um, preparing for combat, preparing for, for war. So this fr frenetic pace, uh, shipbuilding, uh, new equipment, um, it's all having a, a, a huge effect. So just to give you an example, uh, 23rd of April this year, the PLA Navy commissioned three new ships. So there was a, a Type 055 guided missile cruiser, a Type 075 landing helicopter dock, and a Type 094 nuclear-powered ballistic missile submarine. If you add up the, the tonnage, the displacement of these three ships, 60,000 tons plus, that's more than the whole of the, the Philippine Navy put together. So that, that was on one day that the, the PLA Navy was commissioning that amount of, um, of combat power. So PLA, incredibly much more prepared for war now um, than it was before. But the, the question we should be asking, Duncan, I think, is war with whom? Um, China is ready for war, but it depends who it will be fighting. It will be ready to fight its neighbors because its military is, is far larger and more capable than, than any um, of its immediate neighbors. Um, but I think we would have to carefully frame um, who and why uh, is it ready to go to war with. Well, let me see whether I can ask you that difficult question then. What would provoke a conflict? That's a good question. Uh, if you've been following the, uh, the news and the, the media in recent months, you'll, you'll see many more articles saying that, that Taiwan 
um, could be a, a catalyst or a, um, a spark for war, that, that war is looking increasingly likely. Um, I don't think we're there uh, yet. That's, that's very alarmist talk. But I think some of these um, writers are correct in saying that Taiwan is certainly probably the key flashpoint um, that could cause a, a conflict to happen, um, as well as the South China Sea. Uh, of course, every time a, a US Navy warship or a, a US aircraft flies over the, the South China Sea, China will jump up and down uh, and there'll be huge complaints about that. But the, it comes down to core issues. And I think for, for China, Taiwan is the number one. Uh, last year in June, we had a, a border clash between India and China uh, that caused fatalities. But India is pretty much a side issue. The key thing is Taiwan. I'm listening with a bit of a shudder, actually, as you describe that, because I'm assuming that a war involving Taiwan or indeed Japan or even India would draw in the United States. Could you say something about how you see the balance of power in the Indo-Pacific between China and the US and its allies? Uh, you're right. I mean, I, I would shudder as well if, if the USA and China ended up going to war um, against each other. Fortunately, uh, no American president has ever had to choose uh, to go to war uh, to defend Taiwan. Uh, but it, it could, in the future, and one day, it, it could be a, an issue that the US has to, to face. The fact is, uh, Taiwan, its military is, is totally eclipsed uh, by the PLA, um, and it just would not survive long uh, if, the, if China chose to, to invade uh, the independent uh, country of, of Taiwan. Uh, it, it's somewhat ironic, Duncan, because China says one, one condition that it would use force against Taiwan is if, China, uh, is if Taiwan declared independence. But isn't Taiwan already an independent nation? It's, um, that, that's a fact already. But for sure, um, the, the US has remained, I guess, somewhat strategically ambiguous about whether it would defend Taiwan against China. Um, but for all the talk that we've heard from the USA about defending freedoms and, and all that, if it just sat by and, and let China do <laughs> what it wanted with Taiwan, yeah, it would be America shooting itself in the foot, wouldn't it? It would be all talk and, and no action. Certainly the, the US has moved more forces to the Indo-Pacific Command region. Uh, so we have extra warships, uh, new capabilities, um, reorganizing of forces, of, of ways of doing battle. And certainly, I think the US sees China as the number one threat, um, and it's realigning its forces to, to counter that. Well, I can tell you, Gordon, that we've had lots of debates at SOAS about how to describe the status of Taiwan. Some people call it an autonomous self-governing state. Uh, you called that sounds it independent to me. <laughs> <laughs> you called it an independent country. Some people like that phrase, but I could tell you that also uh, ruffles some feathers too. <laughs> now, look, let's go back to the defence issue. There's been a lot of reform of the armed forces, as you rightly said, under Xi Jinping. So do you think the structure of the PLA has now changed at a fundamental level? Absolutely. So uh, President Xi has, has made huge changes to the, the structure. I mentioned earlier on that the, the, the PLA was a, a bloated uh, organization 
uh, and it was, uh, I think it was 2.3 million soldiers, sailors, airmen um, in 2015. And I was actually there at the time at a, a military parade in Beijing. Um, Chairman Xi announced that he would be decreasing the size of the PLA by 300,000 troops. So that was a, an enormous um, cut in numbers. And that was designed not to make the, the PLA less capable, but to make it leaner and meaner. Um, just to, to highlight a few different areas where China um, has modified uh, the PLA in recent years, um, just for your listeners' benefit. So one of them was a, a change of structure into theater commands. So there are now five theater commands in the PLA. And the whole aim of this one was to um, promote um, jointness or joint warfare. So the, the air, navy, and land forces being able to work and cooperate to get, and fight together. Uh, another major change was the Second Artillery Corps, which is in charge of, of missiles and uh, yeah, ballistic missiles in particular, and nuclear weapons. Um, that was elevated in status, so that's now called the PLA Rocket Force. So it has the same status as the Navy Air Force and uh, the Ground Force. Uh, another important change was the, the PLA Strategic Support Force that was created. And this is in charge of, uh, I guess, all your digital, cyber, uh, space um, elements um, of, of warfare. So there have been some incredible changes going on. Uh, certainly the, the most serious changes of, in the history of the PLA have been going on in the last um, six or seven years. I read in The Economist magazine that China's military spending rose by 83% in real terms between 2009 and 2018. Uh, it said that that was the biggest growth spurt in any big country. How is all this money being used? Yeah, I mean, Chinese, uh, China's defense budget is enormous. It's the second largest in the world. Uh, only the, the USA uh, dwarfs it. But if you think about the annual increase in the defense budget in China, um, so every year, the growth, just the amount of growth from the year before, that is greater than the whole of Taiwan's complete defense budget. So China is, is pouring a whole lot of money um, into to new equipment, into to modernization, um, in an attempt to, to make the PLA more, um, more advanced. Um, I mean, there's a there's a lot of um, obfuscation about where the money actually goes because you, you do not expect transparency from, from China and the PLA. Um, but I'll, I'll just highlight some of the, the broad categories where China is spending uh, money. Um, so certainly the Navy, and we mentioned uh, about new ships being built before, um, aircraft carriers, um, landing helicopter docks, which are basically helicopter carriers and amphibious uh, vessels. China's developing a new strategic bomber, um, expeditionary forces, so amphibious marines, uh, new fighters. The, the J-20 is the, the, the pride and joy of the, the PLA Air Force. Unmanned systems, so underwater, on water, in the air. Uh, missiles, including ballistic missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, land equipment, we mentioned the strategic support force, and one other that we should mention um, is space. 
China talks a lot about um, using space for peaceful purposes, uh, but the fact is that its space program falls completely under the authority of the, the PLA. So that's a, a very important domain for the, the PLA as well. I agree with you. That uh, space program is a really key issue, and we're going to come back and talk about that uh, on a future episode of China in Context. Um, I want to ask something more about the money, though, because you know one of the problems in China, uh, both recently and traditionally, has been the risk of corruption. And last year, we heard about a general called Yu, uh, who, according to the Chinese state media, had accepted extremely large bribes. So the media said that this great stash of jade and gold and cash was found in the basement of the general's mansion in Beijing. And they said it was so enormous <laughs> that 10 lorries were needed to haul it all away. <laughs> don't, don't you wish you were a general in the PLA? <laughs> but I mean, is this a characteristic of the army that uh, as this spending increases, some of it is being siphoned off by the generals? The PLA has always been a, a, a corrupt institution. And in fact, um, yeah, many, many people have got rich, not on their, not in their wages from the government, but from side businesses, from corruption. Um, there are so many cases of um, promotions being sold. So if you wanted to get promoted in the, the military, you would have to stump up with some cash. Um, and you would basically buy yourself um, further up the, the chain of command. Um, but if you ask me, yeah, the PLA, just like the, the Chinese Communist Party, is corrupt to the core. Now, I think things have, have changed um, in the last uh, nearly 10 years. So we have uh, Chairman Xi, uh, he introduced a, an anti-graft campaign. So not just against the military, but the, the whole government apparatus. Um, and that's had a, a chilling effect on corruption. Of course, you want to keep your head down because you don't want to get um, snared uh, by the, the, the graft um, guys um, end up in prison. So people are, are keeping their heads down. Um, has, has corruption been rooted out? Uh, no, I think that's so deeply ingrained within um, the culture and institutions uh, in China that it, that it can't. So one other area where the, the PLA has been trying to uh, improve things is the side businesses. So um, for pretty much most of its history, the PLA would get involved in, in various commercial activities, whether it's selling hospital services or accommodation or selling land that belongs to the PLA. Um, so the government is trying very hard to, to divest itself um, to prevent the, the PLA from doing any of the side business making money um, on the side. Um, but I think the one of the key aims of this anti-graft campaign was that it allowed the, the leader basically to purge the ranks of anyone who would be opposed um, to his um, leadership. Um, and so, yeah, a great many um, PLA members, uh, officers, even high-ranking officers, even up to the Central Military Commission, the highest body, um, there have been victims, uh, people caught, sneered, prosecuted, kicked out of the party, imprisoned uh, because of corruption. One date which I'm sure is in your diary is the 1st of October 2021. That's when a huge military parade will be staged in Beijing to mark the 70th anniversary of communist rule. As a defence expert, 
What will you be looking for as you survey the ranks of soldiers and their weapons? The, the last I heard was that, that China was not going to have a, a military parade this year to mark the, um, the anniversary. Um, I was actually there at the, the last one, uh, 2019. Uh, they had a, a huge parade in Tia, through Tiananmen Square um, in Beijing, and, and a whole range of, of new equipment was um, shown at that stage. I think what we may see is a, a aerial flying formations. Uh, we've we've seen pictures of of J twenty fighters and so on uh, flying in formation. So we may see that on the the first of October, uh, but then again we may not see um, new land equipment rolling through um, the streets of Beijing. Having said that, though, maybe I can just highlight some uh, new equipment that we're uh, expecting that we uh, predict will um, come out in the, the not too distant future, because you, you mentioned earlier on about all this money that China's investing. Um, so it, we're gonna to start to see the, the fruits of it in, in different kinds of equipment. One of them will be the H-20 uh, strategic bomber. So we, this is shrouded in secrecy. So we're not sure what it is or what it will look like, but it will be some kind of new stealthy bomber. Um, also, we're expecting new types of nuclear-powered submarines, um, both ballistic missile and attack classes. Uh, we're going to see more aircraft carriers. And uh, another area that I think we'll see developments also is the unmanned systems. Well, I think you've given us a fantastic overview there of some of the big changes in the People's Liberation Army. Thank you, Gordon. That was Gordon Arthur, Asia-Pacific editor for Shepherd Media. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our activities like courses and research on our website, which is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine like Google, and you should find out all about us. But until next time, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.